0: الحمد لله، الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد، الله سبحانه وتعالى سيذن القرآن، من كان يريد من كان يريد العاجل عجلنا له فيها ما نشاء لمن نريد ثم جعلنا له جهنم يصلاها مذمومًا مدحورًا ومن أراد الآخرة وسعا لها سعىها وهو مؤمن فأولئك كان سعيهم مشكورًا كل نمد هؤلاء وهؤلاء من عطاء ربك وما كان عطاء ربك Allah subhanahu wa وتعالى also says من كان يريد حرث الآخرة نزيد في حرثه. وَمَنْ كَانَ يُرِيدُ حَرُثَ الدُّنْيَا نُؤْتِهِ مِنْهَا وَمَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ نَصِيبِ We have these two verses that I've just recited from Surah Al-Isra, the first verse, second one was from Surah Al-Shura. The conclusion of these two verses is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give people according to their intention, their motivation and their sentiment. What is your ulterior motive? What is your primary objective of your life? What is the ultimate ambition that you have? Based on that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you. When he's talking about ultimate ambition, we can have a number of different ideas. Imagine that there is a particular objective that you want to achieve. There will be a number of steps that you will take to achieve that objective. Some of the objectives that, some of the steps that you will take to do that may have nothing directly related to your main objective, but it's just something you must do. For example, whatever your objective may be in your life, you still have to eat, you still have to drink, you still have to rest. These are not main objectives of life. These are things that you just have to do to go from day to day eating and drinking is not an objective in life is it or is it for some people is there anybody here who eating and drinking is a big objective for them there must be some people like this that that's a big objective for them they must find a new restaurant every week or a new dish every week anyway so these are things that you do on the way the main objective is something else Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in this verse that it depends on, depending on your main objective and ultimate goal in your life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you based on that. So, whoever, whoever's main objective is the crops of the hereafter, the fruits of the hereafter, then we will increase in these crops and we will increase in this and whoever's, crops, um, whoever's objective is the crops of this dunya, then we will also give him that thing. Whatever you want, Allah can give it to you. Whatever you want, you make an effort towards it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it to you. A way to understand this is this. Imagine that somebody gives you a car, a brand new car, all tuned up, ready, with the fuel charge, everything is ready. Take it. Use it how you want. And mashallah, the car, it does exactly what you want it to do. Now that same car, you can take it to do something good with. Or you could take it to do something bad with. It's up to you. It will do whatever you want. If you want to go downtown to a club, a pub, whatever it is, a bar, it will do that. If you want to come on a Saturday night to homely a masjid, to listen to a some discussion about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His wonderful people and be with the Muslim brothers and sisters, you can do that. The car will take you. The car is not going to say, no, I refuse. No, I'm not going to take you this way. The cars aren't smart enough like that yet. Maybe one day they'll do that with the artificial intelligence that we're dealing with. Somebody will put a righteous chip in it or somebody will put an atheist chip in it. They say, no, you can't go to the masjid with it. You can't go to the masjid. That's all false for you. Because it's atheists. So, whatever is your desire, the car will do it for you. Likewise, in this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a body. He's given us a mind. He's given us free will. We all experience free will. And He tells us, okay, this is what I want you to do. Because this is beneficial and this is harmful. If you want to do that, you'll still be able to do it. فَمَنْ sha'af al yakfur. You can do whatever you want. You've got the energy. There's enough you know, energy to do that. But we will then score you. We will give you a score and reckoning based on what you have done with the energy that we have provided you, with the power we have given you. That is what this is all discussing, that if you want the dunya, Allah will give it to you. If you make enough effort for the dunya you'll get it and if you make effort for the akhirah then we will give it from there and as i say it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive it's just what is your main focus if your main focus is this dunya then akhirah can't come into it because the the dunya is first the world is first akhirah comes afterwards if my main objective comes first the second objective they they can't that the, that objective is too far out it can't come into this equation. If my focus is the second Akhirat objective, I must go through the dunya to get to the akhirah. So I must do things in the dunya. I must eat, drink, work, sleep, acquire, do business, whatever it is. But my main focus is the Akhirat. So all of this that I will do, I will do it with the focus of the Akhirat. Do you understand? Of the hereafter. But if I do everything with the focus of this world only, there's no way you can bring Akhirat in it because Akhirat only comes afterwards. It's just simple logic. Now, today, I'm not going to go into too much theory. Uh, as the topic suggests for today, it's Fudail ibn Ayyad. Now, he's a person who's inspired me hugely. Just reading his story because he is a person who's tasted the dunya, and then he's made his, his main focus seemed to be the dunya first, then his focus became the akhirah. It's related that his father was a very, very righteous man. Unfortunately though, in the beginning, Fudhayl ibn Iyad seemed to have gone on the wrong track. And he got probably into the wrong company or whatever the, whatever the problem was, but he ended up becoming a robber, a bandit. He became so notorious that everybody knew about him, and people would be concerned when they would go past his area. Because if you had any goods on you and you were going past, he, his men would stop you and rob you. So he became well known for banditry. Basically, he was. His full name is Fudayl ibn Iyad, son of Iyad, son of Mas'ud son of Bishr. He was from a Tamimi tribe. So he was originally an Arab tribe, originally from Arab descent, al-Yarbu'i, but he was born in Khurasan. And Khurasan is basically part of Iran, or, or most of Iran, part of Afghanistan, part of Turkmenistan. All of that is called Khurasan in those days. That was a famous area. It was part of the Silk Route. The Silk Route went through Khurasan. So he... Uh, was born in Samarkand. Samarkand today is in Uzbekistan. Samarkand is one of the main cities of Uzbekistan today. Then he was brought up in a place called Abi Ward. If you want to check it online, uh, it's a small area, Abi Ward. And then afterwards he went to Kufa. In later life, when he became a decent person, he went to Kufa. So he's got an interesting story about him. They say that he used to be the bandit between Sarakhs. Sarakhs today is, uh, there's one town called Sarakhs on the border of Iran with Turkmenistan. On the other side, uh, there's also a small village or whatever it is called Sarakhs. One is called Sarakhs, the other one is called Sarakhs. There was a great scholar that came from there. It's basically north uh, northeast of Iran, near Mashhad. That's where... That's where uh, that's Sarah's, and further up from there is where he used to be. So that was on the Silk Route, and mashallah, it was a very lucrative project. All the big, you know, imagine in these days, you say all the big supply trucks were going past. So he would just stop them, and uh, he would take everything from them. So everybody knew about that. It's related that the reason why he came out of that Industry, he stopped um, s- robbing people is because uh, even bandits and even robbers and highwaymen they fall in love because love is something that everybody it happens to everybody, right? You fall in love with somebody, right? Any of you not fall in love with anybody yet? So he mm-hmm. fell in love with a woman, and it looks like he couldn't have her, but he got so enamored with her love. That he was trying to look at her, so he climbed this wall to look at her. I'm not giving you ideas here. Right? That's what he did. He climbed up on a wall to look at this, this woman that he was interested in. As he climbed up, now remember he's a famous bandit, everybody knows him, that he is the very notorious. When he climbed up, he suddenly hear, heard the verse from the Quran: Alam yeah ladina amanu and وَمَا min al haqq Somebody was reciting within that area, somebody was reciting, and those words, they came to his ears. What it means is, hasn't the time come for those who believe? He was a believer, but he'd just gone on the wrong track. Hasn't the time come for those who believe that their hearts start to fear for the sake of Allah? Their hearts become filled with fear for the sake of Allah. min and that which, the truth which Allah has sent down. Come on, you've been away too far, for too long now. Hasn't the time come? Come on, you must think about this. These words are very powerful. And he should not be like those who were given the book beforehand. A long time passed over them. And then after that, the heart became hard. The hearts became hard, And now no inspiration comes in. What this is telling us is that Allah gives you many, many excuses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us many opportunities. And if a person doesn't take it, and each time we block it out, we become harder in our misguidance. And then it becomes more difficult. That's why they say that younger people are more easier to change and adjust But when you've disregarded something for too long, then it becomes much more difficult to change. Allah, help us. Allah, make us how He wants us to be. Allah, make us how He wants us to be. Uh, That's a wonderful dua that I heard from a shaykh. Allah, make us the way You want us to be. So, when he heard this, remember he's an Arab. And he heard this: that hasn't the time come? Alam amanu li He suddenly said, he said, "Bala, Ya Rabb, of course, Ya Rabb. Something hit him at that time, and he said, "Yes, of course, this time has come. Qad'an an is come at this time." So he he went back, and that night he spent uh, among these old buildings. That night he spent among these old buildings, and that was actually on a main path on the main route. So on the side of that, that's where he spent the night. What he discovered was that there was a caravan you know, a, of a, a traders who had also stopped in that area. He could hear them. And they were, this was evening time, and they're deciding, shall we go? Shall we leave now? Or one said, shall we leave now? The other one said, no, no, let, let's wait until morning, because Fudail is on this path. This is his territory and he, he could rob us. So let's not going He's listening to all of this. So he says that. ففكرت, I really thought deeply about this that look, people are fearing me. Remember, he's now got the concern of Allah in his heart. And he says, في في المع- I'm spending all my nights in robbing people, in this disobedience. And there's this group of believers who are here, who are fearing me. I can only think that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has put this situ- me into this situation so that I stop doing what I what I what I have been doing. So he said to Allah, Oh Allah, Inni Ilaik. I have returned to you now. I'm stopping this. Wa jaaltu Taubati mujawarat Al Haram. Unfortunately, you can't do this so easy nowadays, but in those days you could. He said, I have made my repentance that I'm going to go and stay in Al-Baytul Haram. I'm going to go and stay in Makkah, Mukarramah. I'm going to stay by the Kaaba. That's, that's the way I'm going to do it. A lot of people even today, when they make Tawbah, then they go for Umrah, they go for Hajj. But he decided that he will say. So the last several years of his life, that's where he spent them he 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 went and he worshiped in makkah mukarrama until he became known as the great worshipper of makkah he went to medina munawwara and he worshiped there until he became well known for his worship there you know nobody could even believe that he was a bandit before that's how bad he used to be before famous well known not an amateur bandit a well known one a well known highway person a robber and then he became eventually he became known as ya abid al Haramein. Abid of the two Harams Both Makkah, Mukarram and Medina Munaw What a wonderful name that Now in history that's the name he goes by Abid al haramain There's only another person who has a similar name to him Whose name is Imam al haramain Who came several centuries after him Imam al haramain Abu al-Ma'ali, Abdul Malik al-Juwayni He was a great a g- great scholar of uh, of uh, theology and of jurisprudence and he was the he was a teacher teacher of imam ghazali rahimahullah. he went to the haramain and he became such a great imam in teaching down there he became imam al haramain but he was al haramain and that's a there's only two people i can recall of that name you know of the two harams not just one haram but both one is imam al madina you have imam malik but for both people that's amazing may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a wonderful designation of this nature that's worthy. We're all looking for designations. We're all looking for titles. Now, if Allah gives us a great title that people can remember us and make some dua for us, then what better investment is that than anything else? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of us. He became such a great scholar afterwards that some of the people who have transmitted hadith from him, the ulama consider him to be a reliable transmitter of hadith, sahih. Right, a very reliable and upright and, and authentic uh, transmitter of hadith. That's why some of the greatest ulama that you will know their names, many of you will know their names, have transmitted hadith from him. For example, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak has transmitted hadith from him. Uh, Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Qattan, you, you know, anybody who studied hadith will know him. Abdul Rahman ibn Mahdi ibn Uyayna, this is Sufyan ibn Uyayna, Big scholars. I know if I was taking football names, you guys will say, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Right? Uh, So I want to take these names because I'm excited about these people, just like you are about Pogba and everything else. Right? Alhamdulillah. So Asma'i, Abdul Razak ibn al-Humam, Abdul Rahman ibn Mahdi. These are some great names. If you start studying hadith and the chains, you will see all of these people. Imam Shafi'i has uh, transmitted from him as well. Um... Yahya ibn Yahya al-Tamimi, Musaddad, Qutayba, Bishr al-Hafi, Sari al-Saqati. These are all great Sufis of the past as well. And there's a number of other names. I don't want to mention too many because this is not a list of names that we want to tell you about here. I just want to tell you that some of the greatest muhaddithin have transmitted from him and he was a robber before. Now that tells us that you could be a really bad person. But the door to Allah is always open. The door to Allah is always open. Alhamdulillah. That's one of the greatest things about Islam. And He's not the only person. There are so many other people like this. Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. Now, if you want to know Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, he also had a very strange upbringing. And he also went off track a bit. And he later also turned to knowledge and he became one of the greatest muhaddithin. So he knew Fudayl ibn Iyad. He knew him very well. And if you want the biography of Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, uh, I, I've done the biography, it's very inspirational, his life is extremely inspiring. Uh, you'll find him on uh, zamzamacademy.com, if you look for Abdullah ibn Mubarak, he'll be there. I can't speak about him today, we only have a short amount of time. Abdullah ibn Mubarak says that, Ra'aytu I saw the person who I thought was the greatest of devotees, one of the greatest worshippers. That's Abdul Aziz ibn Abi Rawad, according to him. He was the greatest worshipper that he has seen. وَأَوْرَعَ nas, And I've seen the most scrupulous of people, most careful about what they do, what's halal, what's haram, never wanting to do anything doubtful. He said that was Fudail ibn Iyad. And he says, I've seen an nas, The most knowledgeable among people, and he said that was Sufyan al-Thawri. And I have seen the most juridical and juristic insight, possessing most juridical, juristic insight among people, and that was Abu Hanifa Rahimahullah. مثله, I've never seen anybody like him. So he this is his assessment of his time that these are the four great people that I have seen. Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak also said once to Ibrahim ibn Shamas, he said that الار... uh, SubhanAllah. He said, out of all of the people that exist today, there is nobody generally superior. Superior in general to Fudayl ibn Iyad. If Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak is saying this, that means something great. Because Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak was no small person. He was a great scholar and for him to rate somebody like this is amazing. In fact, Harun al-Rashid, the Khalif, he said, "Ma fil-ulama'i min Malik." I've never seen anybody from among the ulama who has more awe Who's very awesome, when you sit in front of him, you can't say anything. That was Imam Malik, he said. And in Imam Malik's gathering, when he used to come to teach hadith, he used to dress in a particular way with a turban, he used to have a special fragrance, uh, bahur, put on because of the, uh, the, the respect for hadith. And, he's, and they say that you could hear a pin drop in that gathering because it was so silent. They had so much respect for Imam Malik. Yet he was such a soft person. But he had such awe about him that people would be, you know, they they would be very respectful of him. So Harun Rashid says, I've never seen anybody more than that. And I've never seen anybody more careful and scrupulous than Fudail ibn Iyad. Sharik, another great scholar of the time, he says that, you know, every people, so the people of Norway, the people of Oslo, there must be somebody among you that you can say that if we want to present somebody in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment that this is what Oslo has produced. Of one person we can say who did the best that he could. Would there be a name that you can, you can think of? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm asking? There is one kind of role model person in every area. And they, this shariq is saying that لم يزل لكل قوم حجة فِي أَهْلِ زَمَانِهِمْ Every time for any group of people, they will have somebody who will be their proof. Somebody they will take a lot of pride in. Right? He's their hujja, their dalil, their proof. That we've got somebody. And he says, وَإِنَّ فُضَيْلَ ابن عَيَادِ لِأَهْلِ زَمَانِهِ Fudel ibn عِياد was that person for his time. The other ulama say, This is the man for you. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Wouldn't you, be, wouldn't you want to be like that? And you're wondering, how can I be like that? Do you think Fudayl ever thought he could be like that? When he was robbing people of their of their goods? I'm sure there's none of you who rob people here. If the most we may be doing is maybe missing salat, maybe doing some harams once in a while, maybe committing some wrong here and there, I'm sure we're not robbing the people. He was robbing people. But then he becomes known as the Huj Allahu Akbar. I just, that's... That just shows you the mercy of Allah that He will take forgiveness from anybody. That shows you the greatness of the mercy of Allah and how doors are open. Just you need to want to take it. The mistake is on our part. We don't make the effort. It's the effort that we need to make. He says, He is this proof for His people. And then suddenly, He was in a group of people when He said this. Suddenly a, younger, a young man, a young man, like a youth just uh, maybe older teens, 20, 25 or whatever, he suddenly got up uh, to go somewhere. When he had gone, Haytham who was there, Haytham is saying that Shariq had told us this. Shariq is the one who told him that Fudayl ibn Iyad is this proof for the people of his time. Then Haytham says that uh, suddenly there was a young man who left. And when he had gone, Haytham said, That this man is all this young man is also going to become the hujjah and the proof if he lives on. This youth is also going to become the proof. He could actually see in this young guy that he was special. So, somebody asked, Who who is that? And do you want to take a guess of who that was? That was Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. He wasn't an Imam then, he was a young man. But his teacher, who was in the gathering, could see that man, this guy is gonna be something when he grows up. And there's no doubt about it, Ahmad ibn Hanbal, subhanAllah, who died in the 240s, 250s, right? Because Fudayl ibn Iyad died in the 180s or so, 180 Hijri or so, around that time. Whereas he died, Imam Muhammad died about 50, 60 years later. So he was a young man at that time. Allahu Akbar, we want to be inspired by this. We want to be inspired by this. May Allah give us inspiration today. That from today we want to make a difference to what we do. We want to have a different way to. I want to make the Akhirah our main objective. We'll still go for dunya. We'll still get the dunya. We'll still work in the dunya. But our main objective is going to be the Akhirah, inshaAllah. Abdul, uh, Abdul Samad ibn Mardaway says that Abdullah ibn Mubarak told me, I mean, Abdullah ibn Mubarak had such. A great respect for him it says He says that Abdullah ibn Mubarak said Fudayl ibn Iyad was truthful to Allah He was truthful to Allah So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused wisdom To come from him, roll off his tongue So then anything he said was wise Fudayl is one of those whose knowledge has benefited him It's gone into his heart and it's benefited him In fact, Abdullah ibn Mubarak says to Abu Maryam al ما بقي في الحجاز أحد من الأبدال Among the 40 abdal, I mean, this is going into a bit, but this is, I'm quoting, by the way, everything I'm quoting today is from Imam Zahabi. Imam Zahabi was a, a great scholar of hadith who wrote new, all the biographies of the hadith scholars. And I'm taking most of this, if not everything from this, from Sieru al Nubala, which is a 30-volume book of his. And uh, he's a very respected scholar by everybody. He's a greatly respected scholar by everybody. And this is what he relates. He says that Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak said that among the 40 Abdal, the 40 of the most pious and righteous servants of Allah, that always there are 40 people chosen for this in the world. We never know who they are generally, right? But a number of them are sitting in Sham. He says that among the Abdal uh, he says that there is nobody left of the Abdal in the Hijaz, in the western border of Arabia, except Fudayl ibn Iyad and his son Ali. Allahu Akbar, his son was amazing. When you read the biography of Fudayl ibn his son, he used to always be making dua to Allah, O Allah, do not separate between me and my father in the Akhirah. As we are in this world, O Allah, do not separate between me and my father. Meaning that he wants to be in Jannah with his father. And they actually say that both... This is exactly what Abdullah ibn Mubarak said. He said, Wa fil In fact, his son Ali ibn Fudail was even more fearful than his father. When he would hear Al Haqumut Ida Ardu he would faint. There was certain there was a certain surah that his mum had told her husband, Fudail ibn Iyad that when your son is there, you can't read that surah. Because he would just faint. He was just too fearful, so connected that he would be fearful and he would just faint. He, he fainted numerous times when listening to verses of the Quran. And that's his son. In fact, he was saying that in the, in the Sham, in the Levant, there's no Abdals left there except Yusuf ibn Asbat, Abu Muawiyah al Aswad, and in Khurasan it is uh, Ma'dan. And that, that's, uh, I mean, I'm not going to go into that. Bishr ibn al Harith says that there are 10 people that he can think of who never ate anything but the halal. They never ate anything haram. They were so considerate and so careful. He says that La illa nothing except the halal has entered into their hearts, into their, into their stomach they would never enter anything into their stomach except the halal, even if they had to survive on soil and dirt to stay alive. They were very careful about this. So somebody asked, um, uh, Abu Bakr al-Maqaridi, he says, I asked him, who are you talking about Abu Nasr? He said, Sufyan is one, Sufyan al-Thawri. Number two, Ibrahim ibn Adham. He's taken the names of some of the greatest people. I'm sure you've heard these names, some of these. Ibrahim ibn Adham, Fudayl ibn Iyad, and his son. You know, if you look in history, there's not many people that you will find that you praise them and their son or their father. Generally, you get somebody, you hear of Sufyan al you don't know much about his son. You hear about Abdullah ibn Mubarak, you don't know much about his son. But what's interesting about Fudayl ibn Iyad, he's like Mufti Shafi Uthmani, and you got his two sons, Mufti Taqi and Mufti Rafi Uthmani. You don't get that often. Think of any scholar, and unfortunately it doesn't always pass on. The son is not always as great. Sometimes the son becomes even greater and the father gets eclipsed. That happens as well. But in this case they keep mentioning his son. Which tells you the effect that he had on his son, subhanallah. So he says that these are the ten people that never had haram into haram, their stomach. Uh, Ibrahim ibn Adham, Sufyan al Thawli, Fudayl ibn Iyad, his son, and, uh, Ali, and Sulayman al Khawas, Yusuf ibn Asbad, Abu Muawiyah, Hudayfa al Mura'shi, Dawood al Ta'i, Wahib ibn al Ward. These were people who were so careful about halal and haram. That's why they get to the place that they get to. Ibrahim ibn al Ash'ath says, I have never seen anybody that who, in, in whose heart Allah was greater than Fudail. The greatest thing in the heart of of Fudail ibn Iyad was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was nothing greater than that. As as long as you're a believer, Allah will be in our hearts. But is He the greatest thing in our heart? Or is there something greater? A job maybe? A person maybe? Something else maybe? Or is Allah the greatest thing in our hearts? Then he says, What was the proof that Allah was the greatest in his heart? These are the proof. Whenever he would remember Allah, or if Allah was remembered by him, or if he would hear the Qur'an, you could see the fear and the grief come over his face. And his eyes would start pouring. And then he would start crying to such a degree that the people who were sitting there would just feel sorry for him. That's how much he would cry. And I've never seen anybody, he says, who always focused on Allah so much in everything. His focus was always Allah in everything, whether he was studying something in his knowledge, whether he was practicing, whether he was giving something, whether he was taking something, whether he was spending something, whether it was how, whether you should not like somebody, whether you should love somebody. In every aspect, everything was done only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very balanced individual in that regard. In fact, he says that once, if we used to go out with him to a janazah, to a funeral, then he would, throughout the way, he would use that opportunity to advise us, to counsel us. Throughout that journey, he would do that. And he would do this, and he would be crying as though he is going to be buried. It would be as if he is seeing us off, like he is greeting us, and he is giving us advice. Look, don't do this, don't do it, don't, as though he is going to be buried, until we would reach the graveyard, and he would sit there. You know, he would sit there until it was all done, and then after that, he would stand up, and he would come back, and it would be as if he had died and come back to life, and he's just had an experience, very intense. Foday Ibn Iyad used to say that you cannot become adorned and beautified with anything greater than truthfulness and seeking the halal. That will give you the most adornment that will give you the greatest beauty and people respect that his his son said to him his son you was infatuated with his father it seems his son said to him ya abati al halala azizun. so he said to his father he said to his father ya 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 abati my father halal is difficult to come by he said my son wa inna qalilahu kathir even though it's difficult and you only get a small amount the small amount that you will focus on that for allah that will be great The value of that will be great because of your sacrifice that you give. So if you do find things difficult to come by, then you know your sabr on it is going to be valued by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't think that Allah is going to say, man, why you were too strict for? You should have just eaten. Say, Bismillah, and eat. Allah won't say that to you. If you genuinely, yes, if you doubt what is proper halal and you doubt that, that's haram. But where there's doubt and you avoid it, because the Prophet ﷺ said, Da'ma yaribuk. Avoid what puts you in doubt to what doesn't put you in doubt. Alhamdulillah. These are all advices. These are all advices of this great man. Fudil ibn Uyyad also used to say that man Allah, lam yadurruhu ahad. Anybody who fears Allah, nobody can harm him. Because that harm will be nothing. He fears Allah. Allah will protect him and if he fears anybody but allah then nobody can properly benefit you either he also said abdullah ibn malik asked fudayl ibn Iyad, Oh abu ali father of ali you know the arabs they use the these uh, um, patronyms for their for their uh, for them once you get a ch- son or a daughter then you get a new name right so oh abu ali mal khalas mimma nahnu fi how are we going to Take, extract ourselves from this trouble that we're in. What is the way out? How do you survive this? Tell me. Fudayl ibn Iyad said to him, Okay, let me ask you a question. You tell me. Man ataa Allah, hal tadurruhu ma'siyatu ahad? You know, basically, I think what the issue was is that, look, you've got all of these people who are committing sin around you. You know, we can we generally complain about Western culture and we say, look, all of these people are committing haram and we have to live here and this, that and the other, whatever. right? This is a constant complaint, similar complaint. So this was Fudayl ibn Iyad's response. He said, tell me that the one who obeys Allah himself, will anybody else's disobedience harm him? As long as you are obeying Allah and people are going to hell, is that going to harm you? And then he said, and the person who disobeys Allah, and everybody around him is doing good deeds, will that benefit you? If you're disobeying Allah, will anybody else's good deeds benefit you? And if you are doing halal, and you're doing the worship of Allah, will anybody's haram? So stop complaining about people. Do what you have to do, and do the best that you can do. This is one way, one advice for our situation. And then he said to him, so, so the person said, no, of course not. So then he responded, he says, well, this is, if you, really wanna, if you really want to stay free and clear, then this is your answer. You just carry on doing what you have to do. You do the best that you have to do. <coughs> Ibrahim ibn al-Ash'ath says that I heard Fudayl saying that a person will only be in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to how much he knows about Allah. You can't fear Allah more than you know about Allah. If you don't know much about Allah, how great He is. Have you you ever noticed a situation where there's a a person who you didn't know who he was. He just looked like a normal person. So you kind of went and spoke to him or said something. And then later somebody told you, do you know who that is? That's like the, you know, big scholar or big this or big that. And you're like, oh, I just went and spoke to him so casually. I didn't respect him. Have Have you ever experienced that kind of a situation? So he says it's the same thing that until you don't really know who Allah is and you don't know more about Him through the Qur'an, then you're not going to have fear of Him. If you want fear of Allah, you need to know more about Allah through learning the Qur'an and and learning more about what tells us about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he said to him that whoever practices on that which he knows, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will suffice him for what he does not know. And whoever practices what he knows, Allah will give him tawfiq to learn that which he does not know. So the main thing is that don't... You know, today there's a culture of celebrity sheikhs and all that kind of stuff. So we love to listen to scholars. And we listen and we listen and we listen and we keep up to date with it and we follow it and we become fans. And you're not supposed... there's no concept of fans in Islam. You either become a serious student But there's no concept of fans I mean the classical scholars never had fans They had students So either be a serious student Don't be a fan Because a fan is just somebody who follows Somebody who just keeps up to date They just know what you're doing But there's no benefit If you're listening to somebody Just for entertainment purposes Because he sounds cool And he really discusses the issues But how has that discussion of issues Benefited you? I'm speaking to you today. How has that benefited you? I pray to Allah that it benefits me, myself, first. And it gives us some difference of opinion and perspective. But if you're just listening to somebody because you like some of the comedy, some of the entertainment he provides, the way he discusses issue, but is it benefit? if it's benefiting us and we're actually making changes, then that is successful. The scholarship could be perfect. But our relationship with that scholar could be messed up. Let's not blame the scholars all the time. It's just, are we doing the right thing by really benefiting from what we know? And that's what he said here. He said, whoever acts upon, practices upon, whether little he knows, Allah will give him tawfiq to learn a lot more. So people are wondering, I've got nowhere to learn. Are you practicing upon what you do know? And if you are, then Allah will give you tawfiq. Because there's no way Allah will deprive you. Fudail used to say something, Rahimahullah. he said, you know, yesterday, everything that's happened, that's just an example. It's become an example now, it's happened, it's happened. It's just an example to reflect upon. Today is the time to practice. And tomorrow, what can it be? It's just hope. Whatever's past has passed. Those are just examples now. Today is the time you need to do your work and practice. Because Tomorrow is just all about hope. It may never happen. Tomorrow will become today. Right? And that will be time for practice. If you don't practice, it will just become an example of the past. So do something. Do something. He also said that it is based on how small you think the sin is. That is how great Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thinks you have committed a sin. The smaller you think the sin is, that's how much more serious Allah takes it. You're, saying, you're disobeying me and you're saying this is a small sin, it's a saghira it's a minor sin. That's how much more he seriously takes it. And if you commit a sin, if we commit a sin and we think, Oh man, that's such a big sin. I missed my prayer because I slept. I slept over. Oh no, I missed my prayer. I was coming back on the flight and I just couldn't pray. And we take it to be so serious Allah will take that very insignificant and say, don't worry about it. He'll be more easily forgiving us. It depends on our approach to our sin and our good deeds, that Allah deals with us. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like a mathematician, that you do this, you get one reward, you do this, you get two rewards. He looks at it very holistically as well. Right? He wants to see our motivation in our hearts. Uh, uh, Ishaq ibn Ibrahim al-Tabari says, I have never seen anybody more fearful in himself than Fudayl ibn Iyad. Nor, though he's fearful, I've never seen anybody more hopeful in Allah than Fudayl ibn Iyad. قراءته حزينة شهية بطيئة مترسلة كأنه إنسانا His قراءة, when Fudayl ibn Iyad used to recite the Qur'an, may Allah give us tawfiq to do this kind of recitation, when he would recite his recitation, it was full of grief. It was full of hope, desire. It was slow. It was measured and paced. It was as if he was speaking to somebody. You know, the Quran recitation was just wasn't like that. It was as if he was speaking to Allah. And وَكَانَ إِذَا marra bi ayatin fiha ذكر الجنة يُرَدِّدُ فيها وَسَأْلُ وكان says that whenever he would go past an ayah of, the, of paradise, in which there was a mention of paradise, he would repeat it over and over again, and he would say, Oh Allah, give me paradise. Oh Allah, give me paradise. This is showing us an adab of how to recite the Qur'an. And he talks about his uh, nighttime prayer, how a mat would be placed there for him. He would sleep some, he would go and do wudu, he would pray, and then after that he would get tired again, he would take another bit of nap, then he would go and do wudu, and so on. And That's how he would, uh, he, he, would, he would spend the night. You see, as I told you in the beginning That he was a sahih narrator Agreed upon that he His narrations are sahih He, he, he didn't fabricate anything Saduq al-lisan, very truthful However, he was Actually very very fearful Of narrating hadith Why would you be fearful of narrating a hadith? Because Remember in those days you didn't narrate from a book You didn't just pick up a kitab and say Okay, let me read this out to you The hadith was all memorized So he would just be con- Concerned that maybe he's saying something wrong. So he says that it would he would find it very, very difficult. So the, the narrator who is Ishaq ibn Ibrahim at Tabari, I, I believe it's him, he says that sometimes he would say to me that if you had asked me to give you money, right? Dinars, gold pieces, that would be easier for me than to relate hadith to you. Because I give you money, that's easy But if I relate hadith to you and I make a mistake That's a big responsibility So I said to him I said You're narrating hadith to me that I don't know And I can benefit from Is much more worth to me Than if you gave me gold pieces So for both of them They want hadith and not gold pieces Then he said to me When I said that to him He said to me, you know what انك مَفْتُونَ You're in a fitna." Right, you, you got a problem with the fitna. Why? Because by Allah, if you practiced upon what you have already heard from me, you know, all the hadith that you already know, if you practiced upon that, then that would occupy enough, occupy you enough from those hadith that you haven't heard. Whatever you've heard already, you know enough to be able to practice. And he then said that I heard from Sulaiman ibn Mihran, who I think is Al Amash, right, the great hadith scholar. I've heard him saying that if you've got food in front of you, and this the, the, keep this in the mind of us listening, uh, listening to people just for entertainment. He says, if you've got a pile of food in front of you that you're supposed to eat, you take a morsel, you take a spoon of food and then you throw it behind your back. You take another spoon of food and you throw it behind your back. You take another spoon of food and you throw it to the side. Are you going to get filled with that food? You've got the food, it's yours, you can eat it. But you start taking it like our little children do, right? And they start messing around with the food. Are you going to get filled with that food? He said it's the same thing. You just want to keep listening and you don't want to practice upon what you hear. This is all of our state, may Allah help us. Finally, I'm going to relate to you a very special encounter that Harun al-Rashid had with him. You know Harun al-Rashid was one of the greatest khalifs of the Abbasid empire you know he they ruled a huge amount of land they came after the umayyads so by that time the islamic world had spread far and wide and the center of that was all in baghdad and harun al-rashid is the big the big caliph of that entire piece of land one of the most powerful men of his time he goes to hajj he went to Medina Munawara and Makkah Mukarramah. so he went for Hajj. When he got there, Fadl Ibn Rabi relates, Fadl Ibn Rabi relates that when he got there, Harun al-Rashid, he said to me, so Fadl ibn Rabi I think was local. So Harun al-Rashid was with him when he had come for Hajj, and he said to me that you know I've got a I've got some turbulence in my heart you know when you want to just listen to something that's going to help you when when you feel a bit troubled in your heart um, is there somebody is one of the ulama here one of the awliya here that i can speak to who can give me some benefits so i said yes the sufyan ibn Uyayna is here great hadith scholar he says okay let's go to him so we came to him and he says i knocked on the door I said who is it so I said, uh, respond to the Amir al-Mu'mineen is here. The leader of the faithful is here. So he quickly came out that the Khalif was here. He quickly came out and he said, Amir al-Mu'mineen, if you had told me to come to you, I would have come to you. There was no need for you to come to my house. So Harun Rashid said to him, look, um, give me a response to what I've come here for. So he spoke to him for a while. And then Harun Rashid said to, me, uh, said to him, uh, do you have any debts to pay off? So he said, yes, I have. So he told me, Harun Rashid told me, pay his debts off. You know, Whatever debt he's got on him, pay it off. And then we turned away. And uh, Harun Rashid said to me that I didn't benefit enough from, from this discussion. I didn't get what I wanted. So is there somebody else? He said, yes, there's Abdul Razak is here. Abdul, Sheikh Abdul Razak is here. Okay, let's go to him. Again, we went there, knocked on the door. And he came out and he had a discussion with Harun al-Rashid. And then Harun al-Rashid asked him the same question. you know, Because he's spoken to him, he's, uh, you know, he's used this time. So he says, do you have any debt that I can pay off for you? This is just one of their ways of helping people. He said, do you have a debt? He said, yes, I have. He says, okay, pay his debt off as well. And then he said, again, I'm still troubled. I'm, I still, I'm, not, I'm not fulfilled yet. I need somebody else to speak to. Is there somebody else? He says, well, there's Fudayl ibn Iyad as well. Remember, Fudail ibn Iyad is now in the Haram. Right? You know, after he, after he made Tawbah, he actually went to Kufa and he studied there for a while. He was in the gatherings of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, as well. And he studied there. And then after that, eventually he stayed in the Haramain to do his worship. So he's there. Okay, let's go to him. We came to him and we found that, we were told that he's in prayer. He's making dua. And he's reciting an ayah which he's reading over and over again. You could hear that from outside Because in those days The houses weren't all that You know, large and whatever I mean, it was probably inside the room You could hear him read So Harun, she said At least knock on the door So I knocked on the door So when he finished or whatever He said, who is it? So I said Respond to the Amir al muminin is here Amir al muminin is here So then Fadail ibn immediately, immediately, You know what he said? He says wali Amir al muminin What's the Amir al-Mu'mineen got to do with me? You know, what have I got to do with the Amir al That's something beyond. I said, Subhanallah, Ama عَلَيْكَ Ta'a, Are you going to obey the Amir al-Mu'mineen? He's come to you and you're like talking like this, like what have I got to do with the Amir al-Mu'mineen? So he came down from the top floor or wherever he was and he opened the door, but then he, he, it was night time. He opened the door and then he quickly went back into his room and he put the lamp off. You know, they had probably the oil lamp. He put it off. So it was all dark now. So now they're going into a dark. He's responded to the Amir al-Mu'mineen. So he's obeyed him. But now he's gone in. So the narrator, he says, We went in and we started going around trying to feel about with our hands what's going on, where he is. And uh, Harun al-Rashid's hand fell on him first. So he found out where he was first. So immediately Fudayl ibn Uyad, when he felt the hand of Harun al Rashid, the Khalif, on him, he said, Ya laha min ma in najad Ghadan min Allah." He said, What a soft hand. He said, what a hand, how soft it is, if tomorrow it can be protected from the punishment of Allah. That's how he starts it off. And I thought to myself, the narrator is saying, I'm saying to myself, today it looks like he's going to give him straight talk coming from a righteous heart. This is straight talk coming from a righteous heart. Maybe this is what Harun Rashid needs. So Harun Rashid said to him, Look, I've come to you for a particular reason. May Allah have mercy on you. Uh, so Fadil ibn Iyad started. He said, You know, Omar ibn Abdul Aziz, Rahimahullah, when he became the Khalif, when he was put into the position of Khilafah, you know, uh, there's a long story um, of how he became Khalif He became Khalif by accident He wasn't supposed to be the next Khalif He was the governor of Medina Munawwarah. his cousin who was the Khalif passed away His children were too young So then they suggested that he become Khalif So he became Khalif by accident But when he became the Khalifa, He called over three of the great scholars of the time Salim ibn Abdullah ibn Umar Muhammad ibn Ka'b And Raja ibn Haywa. He called these three great people and he said to them, "Look, I have just put, been put in this test. This is a test for me, to be given the khilafa, to be given authority. This is a massive test, right? So, give me some mashwara, Give me some, you know, give me some advice." So, Fadel Ibn Iyad is recounting this, and then he says, "Look, Omar Ibn Abdul Aziz considered this to be a test, and you people." You and your companions, you think this is a bounty that you are the Khalif. You think it's a bounty. And then Salim said to him that if you want to be saved, then you need to be fasting from the dunya and your iftar needs to be your death. Like You're not going to be concerned for your dunya anymore. And that's why Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was a, play, was a playboy before he became the Khalif. After he became the Khalif, he dropped everything. He dropped everything. It's a long story. Then Ka'b ibn Ka'b, the second scholar, said to him, if you want to be saved from the punishment of Allah, then look at the advice he gives him. He says, then the older Muslims should be like fathers to you, like the way you treat your father. The the middle-aged Muslims should be like brothers, and the younger Muslims should be like children. So you should respect your father, You should honor your brother and you should have compassion on your children. That's how you should deal with people. This is actually really wonderful. Now, the third scholar, Raja ibn Haywa, he said, if you want to be protected from the punishment of Allah, then you should love for the Muslimin that which you love for yourself and you should hate for the Muslims that which you hate for yourself. And then after that, you can die and you'll have no problem. Fudail ibn Iyad recounts this story to Harun al-Rashid and he says to him that I have fear over you, a great fear on the day that the feet will slip, on the day of judgment. Do you have, Amir al-Mu'mineen, may Allah have mercy on you, do you have such people who can give you these kind of advices? Do you also have people like this? Now let me tell you something at this point. Recently, I spoke to a very prominent individual, and what he told me is I was asking him some questions about um, why certain decisions are being taken by certain rulers of the world in this current time. They look so crazy. They're making mistake after mistake, but they're taking some really, really crazy decisions that doesn't seem rational in our minds. Why would somebody do that? So he explained to me that, look, what happens is that when you are put in a place of authority, right, as a responsible person, and you have a number of different departments, you're heading all of these departments that you need to make decisions in, right? So now your ministers or your advisors, they're coming to you and saying, look, this is what it is. Depending on what you know, whether the information is accurate, not accurate, proper, or not, they can tell you whatever you don't have time to Google, everything you don't have time to do your independent research. You're the main boss, you're making the decisions. So, they're coming and you have to make several decisions a day, and you don't have enough time to look at this from a third person's perspective. You're too involved, you're tunnel minded, all you know, almost. So, you're saying, Yes, yes, even if you have a good intention. You hardly have time to make your salat, you hardly have time to even do exercise for yourself, right? It's just too fast moving. Even if you have a good decision, it depends on what you're hearing, you have no time to think otherwise, right? Because you're so involved in it. This is, uh, this is a general problem in everything. So, you know, you can take it as how you like, but this is a reality that when you get stuck in something, then you don't, you're in the woods, you can't see from outside that, hey, what's going on? Let me take a better look. The effect that I'm having, the, the decision I'm making, are they really wise or not? You're only seeing the details surrounding you or what people want you to see, and that gets even worse. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give the best to our leaders. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide them. And that's why it's important that uh, you know, people make dua for their leaders. Because if they do good, then it's good for everybody. That's why it's better to actually make dua for a leader than to make for an individual. Because many people's lives are in the, you know, and, and their livelihood and the way they live and their Islam and Iman is in the hands of the leaders because Allah has put them in that position. So he tells him this, and mashallah, Harun al Rashid starts to cry. Fa, ba, fa baka, 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 he cried intensely. Finally, somebody had said something to him to make him cry hatta in fact at this point he became unconscious so uh, I, I the narrator says i started telling fudail you know you need to take it easy with the amir Mu'minin. you've just made him faint so you know what he said he says ibn arabi taqtuluhu anta wa ashabuk wa ana you guys are killing him you and your your friends are killing him and you're telling me to be compassionate with him the decisions you make They're killing him, and you're telling me to be compassionate with him. Then um, then, uh, after he had fainted for a while, he came back to consciousness. And he said, Zidni, give me more. Tell me some more. Rahimakallah. So then he said that there was a... He gave him some other nasi. He talked about Umar ibn Abdul Aziz had been told about one of his governors. Some complaint had come about one of his governors. So he quickly wrote a letter to his governor saying, Oh, my brother... I am reminding you that you will have to spend these long nights among the people of hellfire forever if you carry on like this. So be careful that nothing turns you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that become your last act that you do. When that governor received that letter, immediately he undertook a journey to come and visit Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. So Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was quite surprised. He said, what has brought you here? He says, you've just taken my heart up by the letter that you sent me. I will never go back to that governorship until I meet with Allah. I will never take up that responsibility. It's a tough responsibility. I don't want to be the next king. I don't want to be the next khalif. I tell you that. Right? That's a massive responsibility. I don't want to be the next prime minister. That's a big responsibility. Harun Rashid heard this And he began to cry Even more He says Then again Umar ibn Abdullah uh, Sorry Harun uh, Fudhayl ibn Iyad Says Amir al-Mu'mineen Abbas The uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu alaihi Came to him once And The Prophet Sallallahu Said to him That Imara To be the leader Is a cause of great loss And Remorse On the day of judgment If You can avoid Being an Amir." Then do so. And Harun Rashid started crying even more. Right? Harun Rashid started crying even more. He says, Tell me some more. So then Fadayl ibn Iyad said to him, Oh, beautiful faced one, you are the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to ask about all of the creation on the day of judgment. If you can protect this beautiful face of yours from the hellfire, then do so. Then do so. And if you can wake up in the morning, and you have no hatred and enmity towards anybody from among your, your subjects, then that is the best thing because the Prophet ﷺ has said that whoever wakes up in the morning and they've got hatred for somebody in their heart, they will not f- receive the fragrance of paradise. Harun, a- Harun, uh, Harun Rashid cried, continued to cry. And then he said to him finally, he said, Have you got a debt on you? Do you owe anybody money? Sorry, do you you have a debt on you? So immediately Fudayl ibn Iyad says, Yes, I do. I've got a debt to my Lord, which he hasn't taken to account, which he hasn't taken me to account for. And my destruction it will be if he asks me about it. And it will be my destruction if he scrutinizes it. And it will be my destruction if he doesn't tell me how to extract myself from it. So uh, Harun Rashid said, I don't mean that kind of a debt. I mean, do you owe anybody anything? So he says, My Lord has never told me to, to do that, which means I don't take debts from people. Anyway, he says, um, give him a, give him a thousand dinars. Um, give him give him a thousand dinars. And he says, go and spend this on your family or go and use it to worship your Lord with. He says, Subhanallah, <laughs> ana adulluka ala wa I'm telling you about the... I'm telling you how to get away from the hellfire. And you are telling me about this? You're talking about money while I'm telling you about the hellfire? Or while I'm telling you how to save yourself? May Allah keep you protected. May Allah give you tawfiq. And then after that, he became silent. He wouldn't speak to us anymore. So we left. Harun said, Abu Abbas, when you... He said to me, the narrator, that when you take me to somebody, then take me to somebody like him. This is the Sayyidul Muslimin. This is the leader of the Muslimin. This is the real leader of the Muslimin. This is who you should take me to. After we'd left, his, his wife, Fudayl ibn Riyad, his wife must have come in because she was hearing all of this. And she said to her husband, that um, you know what kind, of, what kind of trouble we're in. We don't have any money. You should have taken the money. He gave the money to you. We're hearing this from outside. So he said to her that that you know our example my example and your example is like this that it's like a group of people who use this camel for all of its life and they they do they rent it out and so on and they benefit from its earnings and when it gets old then they sacrifice that camel and they eat his meat that's that's How your example is. Basically saying that all this time we've stayed away from this and that's how it's benefited us. Now that we're old, now you want to do this? Uh, Harun heard this from outside and he says, quick, let's go inside. Maybe he will accept the money from us now. right? Because maybe his wife has softened him out. When Fudayl heard about this, he went and sat somewhere. Harun, Harun, she went back in and he sat next to him. And he he was speaking to him but Fudayl ibn Uyad would not respond to him. And then suddenly there was... This um, uh, 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 a servant or slave girl came out, and she said, she said to the Amir al-muminin, she, I don't know if she knew who he was or not. she said, "Ya hadha qad a- qad a- qad shaykh you've been troubling the sheikh all night. Fansarif. now now leave." So then, so then we left. Subhanallah, he left. Subhanallah. This is this just tells us, Subhanallah. What I'm most amazed about by this story is where he started. Now, it's understandable if he had come from this great, you know, scholarly family and so on. so. Yes, his father was a, mashallah, righteous person. And I have no doubt that it was his du'as that brought him back. Like, I got no doubt about that because I've seen this happen so much. I've seen children and their father's righteous, but somehow they've gone off track. And the father or the mother, they make a lot of du'a. I've seen people like that. I've seen a guy who used to drink and now he's a great scholar. And many people love him. And in his university days, his friends tell me that he was drinking in university. And he's a big scholar right now. Right? And I've seen his father and the dua he probably makes. So don't ever stop doing dua for people, especially for your children, even if they go off track. They may go off track for four or five years or whatever, but inshallah they will come back. If you've given them a good upbringing, then that is very important. We must give our children a good upbringing, regardless of the situation. We may make mistakes, but inshallah Allah forgive us our mistakes. but the main thing is that regardless of our situation as I mentioned before, we have we're not robbing people inshallah if we're doing any sin, it's these other weird weakness sins and inshallah, if Allah wants to forgive us and shoot us up somewhere to some other state that's absolutely possible and I believe in here there are huge huge amount of Advices that inshallah we can ponder over saying any more than this would be just too much to take in for one day or one night Anyway, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq may Allah reward you for sitting here And may Allah make this a beneficial gathering one of great benefit and Jazakum allahu khayran wa da'wana and alhamdulillahi I have read Imam Ghazali's beginning of guidance, and it's beneficial. However, some of it is difficult to practice uh, Is his advice what it takes to get to Jannah without punishment? I think I mentioned this uh, earlier in the previous talk, that if you do read Imam Ghazali's book, it's hugely beneficial. Imam Ghazali's beginning of guidance. But it's a bit over-ambitious compared to our state. He wants you to just be worshipping Allah all day. right? So while there's beautiful advice that we can benefit from, what to do at this time, what to do at this time, but when he gives you permission even to go for work, he says, he qualifies, he says, if you've got no other way to earn money and you need to survive and you've got people dependent on you and so on, then between this time and this time you can go and work. Otherwise you must spend the rest of the time in worship. Now that's heavy, right? That's too heavy. And I'll tell you that right now. It's too heavy. Many ulama have said that's just a bit too heavy. He wrote that towards, the, that was one of the last books he wrote. And by that time he had this huge mystical experiences and uh, you know he was writing it in a very elevated state of spirituality. So... Don't you don't need to take his word for words, right? Because a lot of it is advice and guidance. Take whatever you can and fit into your, fit into your schedule. That's that's the way I would tell you to read it. And that's not the only way to jannah. Allah subhanahu wa taala, inshallah, if you do the best that you can do, then Allah will give you jannah inshallah, right? That's the main thing. So don't think that if you can't do what Imam Ghazali tells you to do, if you can't, then it means pretty much the majority of Muslimin are in trouble. Because I don't think the majority of Muslimin can do what he's telling us to do. So, yes, l- let that be very clear. How can we become more spiritual? What is the first step? Tahajjud, controlling the tongue, what should we do? Again, I've explained this before. The, uh, number one, you can't even start getting closer to Allah. You know, the club of walis, the wali club, the awliya. The, 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 just the membership is that you must fulfill the obligations and you must avoid the harams as much as possible. So try to don't miss your prayer, your five daily prayers. Forget the hajj right now. Your five daily prayers, they speak about that first. You can't miss those. If you do, make make qada as soon as possible. And if you already have some days or weeks or years of qada, make up an estimate of how much and, and get those done. Slowly, slowly, even if you've got three years of qada, I know people with many, many years of qada and they've been doing it and some people have completed it. It's not difficult. How to seek forgiveness for backbiting. Backbiting is one of those really strange ones. If the person you backbited against knows that you have backbited him, then you must go and ask him for forgiveness. If they don't know, then many ulama say that don't go and tell him, hey, you know what, I I backbited about you, please forgive me. Because imagine you don't know anything and somebody comes to you and says, I was backbiting you. What are you going to say to them? What are you going to say to them? You're going to say, hey, what did you say? Who did you say it to? Why did you say it? It's going it's to cause a bigger problem. So if somebody doesn't know that you've backbited them, then don't say anything to them. Make lots and lots of dua for them. And make so much dua for them that you tell Allah, oh Allah, I don't want to make it worse now. But you have the ability to change You know, to have him forgive me, so please have him forgive me on the day of judgment. And if you're sincere, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you. So you ask Allah for forgiveness, but you must ask the person for forgiveness as well if you can, in the case that they know especially.